Well, are you excited for the game tonight? Yes or no? Okay, mixed reaction. Who do you think is going to win? Eagles? Eagles? Patriots. Patriots. Don't care. <laughs> I actually I actually grew up close to Philadelphia, but in the 80s when living out here, I got sucked in with the Browns. That's not good. So I really have no strong rooting interest tonight. I know my family is going to be tuned in. People in the Philly area are going crazy, but I'm afraid they're going to be disappointed once more. I'm a fan of good TV commercials. I'm a critic of bad commercials. As my family can attest, they know I do not like flow from Progressive. I don't like voiceovers from Allstate. Don't like that. But one recent commercial I do like is from Geico. And it's a commercial showing George Washington crossing the Delaware. (laughs) Except it is not the Delaware River, but the Delaware Turnpike. George Washington remains inside the boat while his men push him across the concrete highway. Traffic is stopped and Washington gets into a shouting match with one of the impatient drivers who has to stop and wait for them to get through. I really thought it was quite a clever, quite a clever commercial. I'm not crazy about the personification of George Washington, but I still thought it was clever. You know what I also thought? I thought, wow, that is an accurate picture of how many of us try to live our Christian lives. That picture. When we try to follow Christ... Without the power of the Holy Spirit, it is like rowing in concrete. Rather than having the wind behind us, empowering us, we are left to our own. And it seems and actually is impossible. For centuries, Christians have believed in the Trinity. That God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet many of us give only a nod to the Holy Spirit. He has been forgotten, neglected, and misunderstood. And when we fail to grasp His significance and the power made available to us, we default to what we know. We rely on ourselves. And many Christians live out their lives accomplishing only what they can through their own resources. Because of this phenomena, today we are starting a series from the book of Acts called The Empowered Life. Acts tells the story of the first Christians. It is about Jesus continuing his life and ministry through ordinary people empowered by the Spirit. Acts is written by Luke to a young man named Theophilus. Luke also wrote one of the uh, Gospels. Together, Luke and Acts make up one quarter. Those two books from the same author make up one quarter of the New Testament. Now, Luke was a doctor and a a careful historian. Modern historians are amazed at the accuracy of his time and place reference points. His attention to details reveals he was very intentional about talking to eyewitnesses and very intentional about the necessary research 
to gather the facts about the life of Jesus. So let's kick off this morning by reading the first 11 verses from this book. Will you stand, please, as I read God's Word? In my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to all the end of the earth. Now, will you read along with me the last three verses? And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken from you to heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill this place. Make Christ real here in this room, in this, on this day, in this hour. Open our hearts to understand more, God, of who you are and what you have for our lives. We admit that we desperately need you and that without you, Everything will be theory. Everything will be academic. Without you, this will be a lecture. But we need the Spirit's help to grasp, to understand, to apply what He has for us. So give us open hearts to hear. Through Christ, we pray for His glory and the glory of His church. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can take a seat. Still there in that Acts 1 passage, let me note that it would be helpful to understand the word baptize. The word baptize literally means immerse. John baptized or immersed you in water. Jesus will baptize or immerse you in the Holy Spirit. This immersion or saturation will take place, Jesus said, in just a few days. And that's what is recorded in Acts chapter 2. A small band of remaining Christ followers were gathered in the upper room. The Spirit came upon them on that day. And the church, the church was born. 
In these first 11 verses, we find the three big themes that run through a thread in the book of Acts. And every message we give over the next four months is going to be tied to one of these three themes. Here's the first theme. The Spirit brings power. The Spirit is going to empower believers, we'll see, to be a witness to the truth, to communicate clearly, to live boldly, to serve one another, to pray, to plant churches, to give radically to the needy, and to respond to social concerns. The Spirit will also manifest His power in supernatural ways, through healings, prophecies, spiritual gifts, power over demons. This book is known as the Acts of the Apostles. But as many times as Luke references the Holy Spirit, many have said it could be called or known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thread. Is found in verse 8. The second thread is the progress and expansion of the gospel. Now Luke has a very intentional way of writing. And it's clear that in verse 8, he is giving an outline of this book. In chapters 1 through 7, describes the story of the reaching of their city, right in Jerusalem. Then there's a very clear transition in chapter 8. And in chapters 8 through 12, it tells a story of them reaching there. The second part of verse 8, Judea and Samaria. And then finally in verses, in chapters 13 through 28 in Acts, the story is told there of the believers reaching out to the, and beginning the process of reaching the ends of the earth. And so the progress and expansion of the gospel is a clear thread throughout this book. Here is the third thread. It is the birth and the life of the church. We're going to learn about the church's development, its relationships, its leadership, and its sense of togetherness. From verse 15, we know there exists a group of about 120 And as I said, they will be the first recipients of the Holy Spirit. They will begin the church. And the church is a brand new community based on Jesus' vision and driven by Jesus' example of love. I love how Michael Green uh, speaks about this book in a holistic way. He says the following. The book, Acts, contains a tapestry of themes. The church, the ministry, the apostolic preaching, the spirit, the charismats, which means the spiritual gifts, church planning, Christian lifestyle, sacrifice, prayer, social concern, and many more. The Acts has much to say to our half-hearted and cold-blooded Christianity in the Western world. And I think we can all say amen to that. That really is a true statement. So these three will guide us through our journey in this book. Now I said earlier that the Holy Spirit is often neglected in churches. And we don't have to talk about other churches or look out there for some example of this. We can look right inside at our own church. 
You may not know, but that for years, in our own statement of faith, our core beliefs, there was no mention of the Holy Spirit. How could we have overlooked a member of the triune God? Why is he neglected? I think part of the reason is that the Holy Spirit is misunderstood. We don't understand the teaching of the Bible that describes the Holy Spirit as a person and calls us to relate to Him personally. Now, the telltale sign of our oversight is I've often heard the Holy Spirit referred to as an it, as if He's a thing. Sometimes He's thought of as an impersonal force. Others view Him as a pep pill or an amphetamine, a source of energy like Holy Spirit espresso. Others equate the Holy Spirit to our conscience, which is not the case. Or they have shadowy notions of him because older versions of the Bible called him the Holy Ghost. that, That didn't really contribute. And finally, there are some that limit the Holy Spirit's primary activity to that of a courier. It's like, a, uh, it's like the Holy Spirit gives a message a minute so that every moment of the day the Holy Spirit is dictating to us where to go, uh, what to do, and He does this through impressions or signs. Now, we will discuss the Holy Spirit's guidance and His ability to speak to us and sometimes in extraordinary Ways. But his guidance in our lives is a means, not an end. The Holy Spirit has bigger goals that he is seeking to facilitate in our lives. So this gives us maybe a little bit of a sense or a picture of why the church in America has such a misunderstanding and tends to neglect or forget the Holy Spirit. So let's look at a second question to follow up on this. For you as an individual, we've talked about the church a little bit, but for you as an individual, how do you know if whether or not you are neglecting the Holy Spirit? Well, there's an answer for that. And it's helpful to understand that the Christian life, the life following Jesus, poses a paradox. It gives us a moral vision Defining how to love God and how to love others. But we don't have the power within ourselves to live out that vision. When we try to live out that vision, without the power of the Spirit, like I said, we default to self-reliance. We try harder, and the harder we try, the more we fail, and the more miserable and frustrated we become. I don't suspect that there are many of you out here, some of you out here, that have just simply given up. You've given up. We might call this approach uh, to the Christian life moralistic or moralism. Trying to live out a moral vision from your own will and determination. J.J. J. Uh, I. Packer, in his book, Stay in Step with the Spirit, describes six outcomes of this. Six results of trying to live this moral life without the power of God. I wonder if you may be able to relate to one or two of these. Here's what he says. Here's one. 
When we try to lead a moral life without the power of God, we become legalistic. We become judgmental. And what he means by that, he defines it by, we make tight rules for ourselves and tight rules for others on secondary or not important issues. We impose rigid and restrictive behavior patterns as bulwarks against worldliness, attaching great importance to man-made taboos. Here's one like it, a second one. We become Pharisaic. Again, when we try to lead a moral life without the power of God, we become Pharisaic, which he defines as we're more concerned to avoid what defiles than to practice the love of Christ. Here's a third one. We become scrupulous. We become unreasonably fearful of spiritual pollution where none threatens. (laughs) And we are stubbornly unwilling to be reassured. We become scrupulous. Here's a fourth one. We try to lead a moral life without the power of God. Guess what? It is a very joyless enterprise. It is a really joyless enterprise. We become preoccupied with thoughts of how grim and how unrelenting the battle is. Here's a fifth one. We can become morbid in this state. By morbid, he says, we're always introspective. We're always looking inside and dwelling on the rottenness of our own heart in a way that breeds only gloom and apathy. And finally, he says, we become pessimistic. We become pessimistic about the ability of any moral progress, either for ourselves or for others. So Pharisaic, Judgmental, scrupulous, joyless, morbid, pessimistic. I wonder if you can relate to any of those. I know that I can. Actually, I can trace the seasons of my life, and at certain seasons I see the fruit of that approach to the Christian life, of trying to lead a life without the power of the Spirit. You know, when we trust in ourselves, our expectations for what God can do through us gets lost and our expectations slowly dim over time. Friends, the fruit of moralism can be really ugly. And many people have judged and rejected Christianity based on that ugliness. Moralism can't change you. Because it's only a superficial restraint. It can produce good works on the surface, but it can't dig below. Moralism cannot produce love, real love, true love. Because it cannot change our hearts or reorder our motives, the reason we do what we do. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, our good works are often about who? They're about us. They're about our own self-justification. Friends, listen, if you've experienced this or if you're experiencing this now, here's what I want to say. Here's the good news this morning. It doesn't have to be this way. If you have thought, well, this must be the Christian life, those six things, it's not. This is not power of the Spirit. This is not life of the Spirit. It can be different for you. It can be different for us. 
This is what Paul was getting at in Galatians chapter 5. Will you turn there, please? Galatians 5, it's page 975 in the Pew Bible. Remember, we got here by asking the question, how can we know if we're walking under the power of the Spirit? This is what Paul's going to get at. He begins in verse 16 by saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, when we hear flesh, we think today of the physical body, right? This, this collection of molecules. But that's not the Greek word here. This Greek word refers to the natural self and the whole of yourself. Mind, body, emotions, spirit. And what are we? I mean, we are a bundle of desires and drives and impulses, particularly when we are not empowered by God. In the natural self, one of the great storylines of the Bible is the natural self is separated from God. And it's separated from others. And it's even separated from from ourselves. But when Paul says walk by the Spirit, by walking, he means the full activity of living. Just as walking is. So it's to let, he's saying, let the Holy Spirit guide every facet of your life. And what's the result of focusing on the Spirit? You will not gratify the desires of that natural person, the natural self. Look down at verse 18. Down at verse 18. When you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under obligation to the law of Moses. What is meant by that? The moral law in the Old Testament focused on restraint because it could not provide power. And the law with its rituals, rites, and sacrifices were ultimately fulfilled by Christ. Thus, with Christ in us, we have the power to do now what the law ultimately pointed to, which was to love God and to love others. And then in verse 19, Paul continues and he lists the outcomes. He lists the results of living without the power of God. Just take a look at that list. It's interesting where he starts and what he covers. In the outcomes of the natural man, he begins with sexual sins. And the overarching characteristic of impurity. Sexual sins demonstrate clearly a separation from ourselves. The dive into sexuality on our terms is a broken search for meaning and for intimacy. That's where he starts. Then look at where he goes next. Secondly, he talks about the separation from others. He goes to relational breakdowns and to divisions. These are the outcomes. These are the outcomes of living Under your own power. Hatred. Jealousy. Envy. Comparing yourself to others. Fits of anger. Where do these things come from? Well, they come from our underlying insecurity 
Because we are adrift from God and cut off from His love. We find that in the natural self, if we get underneath our behaviors, it's really fear and it's anxiety that are our drives. And they are our drives because we have not answered spiritual questions. Does my life really matter? Does my life count for anything? And that too cuts us off from God, from others, and ourselves. That is the outcome, Paul says, of living under the influence of the natural person, the natural self. And if that describes and defines your life, then you know you're living a life empowered by self and not by God. Now look at verse 22. So here are the results, the outcomes of a life empowered by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Are those things in your life? Are they growing in your life? If they are, then you are learning to be led by the Spirit. So Paul's saying. He says, there's no law against these things. What does that phrase mean? In other words, this is not a law restraining you from doing the things that you really want to do. No, it's about a power working within you to produce new desires. To reorder the affections of your heart so that you love what's right and you want to do what's right. And that, Paul says, will produce these tremendous positive outcomes. Knowledge of the moral law can't produce that. Only the Spirit can. Now look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. You see, this is nothing that you'll ever find in a self-help book. This is a life of faith. By faith, the natural self has been crucified with Christ. When we receive Christ, we die with Him and we are raised with Him. His Spirit is in us and we accept this because we are a people of promise. We believe in the promises of God. This is how we begin to live and understand and breathe by the power of God. So assess yourself. Where are you today? Are you living under the natural self with its outcomes? Or are you living under the Spirit? With its outcomes. Which one, which life do you want? Which life do you want? Look at the final verse, verse uh, 25 in this section. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. <coughs> this word step is, this word step here is a different Greek word than Paul uses in verse 16. And actually, so it's translated in your Bibles differently. It's a different Greek word. The thought here is of walking in line, holding to a rule, thus proceeding under another's direction and control. That's what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. Now, by way of a picture or metaphor, 
The best picture or metaphor of being filled with the Spirit is one the Bible itself provides. And it's one that I hope is a long memory for you. I hope it's not a short memory. I hope it's not something that happened to you recently. But the metaphor, the picture the Bible uses to describe this being saturated, filled, immersed with the Spirit is drunkenness. In the same way that when we, one gets drunk and comes under the influence of alcohol and is saturated, so to speak, their entire person is under its control, in the same way God says, be filled with the Spirit. Be saturated, be immersed, be controlled, be influenced by the Spirit. So what is the fruit of your life? In purity, in relationships, what has been the outcome? And that will help you understand whether you truly understand the Holy Spirit and the power He seeks to make available to you. Now we're going to say many things about the Spirit over the next four months. And I hope that you'll be here. And I hope that I hope that each of you have as a habit that Man, if I'm in town and if I'm uh, in Columbus on a Sunday morning, I'm in church. And, and every week, that's my priority, to be here. And we're going to see many powerful functions of the Spirit. But I want to ask one final question this morning before we break for the Lord's table. One final question I want to ask, and that's this. Where do we begin If we want to reacquaint ourselves, if the Spirit's been a stranger to you, where do we begin to reacquaint ourselves with the Spirit? In most of the conversations about the Holy Spirit, in books or in churches, the reacquaintance centers around the functions of the Spirit. But I think this is a serious mistake. Consider this illustration. I wash dishes at home. That's my job. That's our rhythm. Louise often cooks, and I wash dishes. Now, I do cook occasionally. And I want you to know that yesterday I made what is becoming my famous chicken and waffles dish. And I must admit, I hope this is not sexist, but ladies, I must admit that my maple gravy is really good. It is very good. Louise told me, well, that gravy's better than mine. But uh, keep in mind, when you cook once a year, you can stand over the gravy and, like, stir it for 10 minutes straight without having to multitask. So that that makes a difference. But anyway, I mostly wash dishes. Now, when my wife introduces me to someone she knows that I don't, she does not walk up to them. She does not say, I would like you to meet Chris. He is a dishwasher. Okay? That's, That's not... Typically what she does. Here's even a more noble task. I love doing things with and for my adult children. We enjoy going to games and movies and eating out together. I love being a good friend to our kids. But again, when my wife introduces me, she does not point out even admirable qualities. She does not introduce me and say, I'd like you to meet Chris. He's a good friend to our children. Right? No, what she says is this. She says, she does not begin with a friend to our children. She does not begin with, I'm a dishwasher. She says, this is Chris. He is my husband. She does not point to my functions, but rather to my identity. 
and my overall purpose in relation to her. In the same way to reacquaint ourselves with the Holy Spirit, the place where our conversation must begin is the identity and overall purpose of the Holy Spirit, not His functions. Now the functions are there. Just like being a dishwasher and a friend of my kids, it is, that is part of being a husband and father. But they must be seen in relationship. We must see the forest through the trees if we're not going to be confused about the Holy Spirit. Now in this book, Packer asked the question, what is that overall purpose of the Spirit? What is it about the Spirit that pulls together, that integrates all of these functions and activities? What is essential for us not to miss? I think the answer is found in John chapter 16, Verse 13. Jesus said this to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. Again, preparing them for their new life, which would be a life empowered by the Spirit. And look at what he says. This is page 902. He says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What is the primary role of the Holy Spirit? The primary role of the Holy Spirit is to facilitate Christ's active presence in the world. And that includes our church. And that includes your life. To make Christ present, to make Christ active, to make Christ real, to take the unexperienced and to experience Him, to take the invisible and to make it visible. All of the functions of the Spirit are designed for that aim. To facilitate Christ's active presence in the world. He says, Jesus says, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. What does that mean? It means he, the Spirit, will make me known. The Spirit will win for me recognition and applause all over the world by revealing my character, my glory, my attractiveness, who I really am. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Think about all that was Christ, belonged to Christ. Think of everything that was belonged to Him. He's saying the Spirit's going to take that and is going to declare it to you. Not only tell you about it, but He's going to help you internally grasp it, apply it, believe it. This is far more than just academic or theoretical knowledge. What belonged to Christ, what belonged to Jesus, He was God in human form. God the Father created the world through him. He possessed perfect love. He stood in their place, these men on the cross, for their redemption. He was their king and their savior. He freed them from guilt and shame. He rescued them from the kingdom of darkness. 
He was Lord and sovereign over their personal histories, their stories. And He is the one who will bring them to be with Him and share His glory at the end of their lives. Those things the Spirit will take and will help the disciples grasp it. Now, did He speak this only to the disciples? In the most direct sense, yes. But, this was part of the Jesus tradition. This was part of the apostles' tradition that was quickly grew and was passed on to the early church. And so, yes, it's also for us. The Spirit will make these things of Christ and help us to grasp them, to discern them, to understand them, to breathe them, to live them. And finally, in verse 16, perhaps Jesus might worry about the disciples wondering if he's saying that he's greater than the Father. No. In verse 16, he affirms again his co-equality with the Father. All he has is mine. Our understanding and relatability to the Holy Spirit will not stay grounded unless we keep this front and center. That is this. The Father's purpose is that the Son would be known, loved, adored, honored, and seen as beyond compare. And that the Son has promised to make Himself present with His people by giving His Spirit to them. If we will keep this in mind, if we will keep this perspective, then God will be able to give us understanding, insight, power, that we might understand the roles and the functions of God, the Holy Spirit. So, lastly, we've tried today, we've tried to establish why the Holy Spirit is neglected. Secondly, we turn to individually, and I ask you to assess for yourself. What does the outcome of your life tell you? Are you being led by the Spirit? Are you being empowered by self? And then finally, we've asked the question, how can we, if we're going to begin this conversation, if we need to be reacquainted with the Holy Spirit, what's the one thing that we must understand first in that process? I want to give you two practical things here before we... Uh, take communion. Um, Where do I go next? Here's something very simple for you. I want to encourage you to take our fully mature class. In that class, part of what Nick covers is this understanding of the Spirit. Understanding our role, understanding the Spirit's role, and how we can be empowered and stay in step and walk with the Spirit. It's our hope and our heart that every one of you will take this fully mature class. It is a seminal core class. It's part of our how we are raising up followers of Jesus. And so I want to really encourage you to consider that class. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to come on Friday night to our encounter time. Because the reason is, is because because the Holy Spirit is not just something to be learned about in a class. The reason we're doing encounter is because we believe the Holy Spirit is something to be, and someone, someone, capital S, 
to be experienced, to be longed for, to be asked for. You know, in the Gospels, it's amazing. Jesus, in relationship, in the context of the Holy Spirit, said we should ask and keep asking. We should knock and keep knocking. We should seek and keep seeking. Because He loves to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. As if to say, this is the greatest gift of all. This is the gift that will provide for you basically everything that you need is in the Holy Spirit. And so come Friday night, join us. As we, we don't set up big agenda, it's not, a, it's not a detailed agenda because we're really wanting and asking God through His Holy Spirit to make Christ active, real, experienced in our presence. We long for that. We want that. You know, the whole vision of this series, the whole impulse of this series is that we would hunger and we would long more for God and His operative work in our lives. I hope we end this series by you expecting greater things from God in your life and for this church. I hope by the end of this series that you will be praying bolder prayers than you're praying today. Expecting God to do great things in you and through you. Believing God to do great things in you and through you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Jesus, as we've said, is the center of all of this. And there's a pattern. I've outlined basically a small pattern of how we begin to become filled with the Spirit. We must become absolutely dependent on God. We must realize that we are empty within ourselves. We must realize that any condemnation or judgment that God would declare in my life, I deserve. We must acknowledge that Christ died for my sins, my personal sins. We must acknowledge His resurrection. All of these things are related to becoming filled with the Spirit. But do you know the same pattern exists? This is also how we come into our relationship with Jesus. The pattern is the same. Absolute dependence. Emptiness within ourselves. Acknowledging the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, some of you this morning maybe recognize that I don't really have a relationship with Jesus. The outcomes of my life are all driven by the natural self. I don't think I know Him. I don't think I know the power of the Spirit. This morning, by simply crying out to Jesus that I want to know You. I want to receive You. I believe in You. I'm empty within myself. I deserve judgment and I know it. You know, it's the Spirit, by the way, that makes those things clear to us. It's the Spirit that activates those things in our life. The Spirit right now may be speaking to you. The Spirit right now may be pounding these truths and making them clear in your heart. And this is the morning I want to urge you to respond. You know, you may may not have many moments like this. You may not have many moments like this again. Where the Spirit is particularly making the gospel clear to you. You can receive Christ this morning. And you can join us up front. And take the bread representing His body. Take the juice representing His blood. And say today publicly and before others. Declare today. Yes, I want to be in this. I want to be a follower of Jesus. You can come up front. Take communion. But if you make that decision, here's my challenge to you. I want you to let me or one of our pastors, 
or the friend that brought you, I want you to make sure you tell them today what your decision is. Coming to Christ is not an individual. It's not a private decision. It never was. It never has been. It never will be. It is a public decision. We come out and we say, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's why we have baptisms. And if you've not been baptized, you need to be baptized. Baptism is a public demonstration and recognition. I'm a follower of Jesus. It's part of the two sacraments or the two remembrances that we do. Baptism and communion. If you're from a different church background, but you're a believer in Christ, you're welcome this morning to come forward and to take the bread and to take the juice. I'm going to pray for the elements. You can take them as the ushers release you. You come up front, take them, take it back to your seat. You can take it at any moment in these next several songs as we get a chance now to sing back to God. We've heard his word. God has spoken. Now let's sing back our affirmations to him. Father, In your son's name, we thank you for the ministry of your word. May we now with power respond to you as the spirit opens up our heart to sing, to worship, to pray. And maybe for that individual today to say, Jesus Christ is mine and I want to be his. Amen.